The nail in the coffin! Welcome to the Nail in the Coffin. I'm Tom Valentino. He is Travis Uli. It's Monday night. Trav, how are you? Uh, I'll tell you, Tino, it's 9 o'clock on a weeknight, and there's baseball on television, and all is right with the world. It's a bizarre <laughs> feeling. I don't oh, care it's... that the stadium's empty, like you mentioned. I don't care that there's ads plastered all over the place. Um, I don't care that the game means absolutely nothing. You know, I said it when uh, when the ESPN ran the last dance a couple months ago. I'm just so grateful to have games on right now. Saturday night, I I sat down. I was like, oh, you know, I got MLB Network here. So that first preseason exhibition, whatever they're calling these games, uh, the, the first one was on MLB Network. And I know it was blacked out for some people, but for whatever reason with my cable company, that I was able to watch it. And I was like, oh, you know, it's exhibition game. I'll watch a few innings. I sat and for all three hours and watched the entire thing. And it was just so nice to have baseball on. The one on Saturday? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. I was having a hard – I couldn't find it. I couldn't get it on my TV. Um, I don't know why. I didn't – I don't know where I was supposed to be looking, honestly. I looked it, – it wasn't on the – it wasn't on the Fox Sports app. Okay. Um, it seems like it was blocked out someplace. I don't know what exactly the deal was, but um, yeah, MLB Network had it, and for whatever reason, like a bunch of cable providers around here blacked it out, but YouTube TV still had it on. So, um, hey, there you <laughs> they go. Can, they could jack up my bill by fifteen dollars a month, but at least they're giving me baseball games that don't count. So yeah, I guess it's a fair trade off. All that, all that for a preseason baseball game, still right. worth it. Um, well, hey, you know, having baseball back on, perfect. Speaking of perfect, uh, we've got a guest tonight uh, who put together a really cool book called uh, Perfect Season Project, An Uncommon Arrangement of Cleveland Indians History. Alex Harnotes is our guest tonight. Alex, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Happy to be here. So this is a really cool uh, project that you put together here. You know, we won't give the whole book away, but just kind of give us the Cliff's Notes version here for our listeners. What exactly the concept of this book is in terms of Indians history and uh, just how it came together. Sure. So, you know, at the beginning of a baseball broadcast, usually you'll hear the the broadcaster sort of timestamp the game. In, in a couple of days here, hopefully, we'll hear this is game one of 2020. And it always brought this sort of like trivia question to my mind of, Game one through 162 throughout history, have the Indians won every game? And, you know, wouldn't it be weird if they hadn't? Like for some reason in 120 years, they'd never won number 24 or something like that. So at one point I sat down, you know, set up a spreadsheet and I took some of the winningest years, 1920, 48, 54, you know, 95, and I laid them all against each other. And I pretty quickly found out that across the arc of history, the Indians have won game one through game 162 at some point. So, you know, the question that raises then is, can you remix all of Indians history into one perfect season? And what would that look like? 
you know, in my mind, that looks like something remarkable, historic, memorable happening every game, one through 162. So that's what the perfect season project was, was basically to identify the best win for every game in the baseball calendar for the Indians and put it into something that um, I think comes out as like a really cool primer on the history of the organization, um, you know, going back to 1901. So you had to go through uh, quick math. I, I estimated probably about 18,000 games to put this together. Is that right? Um, for the most part. So the way that I approached it essentially was a, a spreadsheet of 162 games. Um, and I started working backwards, filling in sort of the obvious ones, you know, your perfect games, your no hitters, your cycles, things like that. That takes you maybe 15% of the way. Um, then I went looking for oddities, you know, stealing home and, and four strikeout innings and things like that. That puts another sort of layer in there. And, you know, that takes you maybe 40% of the way. And then I was really deep into the historic box scores, looking at old newspaper stories, trying to find things like walk-off wins from every decade. Um, and really that gets you maybe 70, 80% of the way. And for the remainder of the games, I had players who I wanted to tell their story or, you know, pieces of Indians history where I wanted to tell the story. And I had to go find a game where that player stood out in the stat line, say, and sort of back into it from there. But like I said, what you end up with is, is really this, this arc of the whole organization in a, in a real interesting arrangement. So did you have like a formula for deciding when you had good games, like multiple options for... I don't know, a certain you know, game 32, for example, there was like three different years where there was something really cool that happened. Did you have like some sort of way? Sure, to sure. Yeah, there are, there are some great conflicts where, you know, two things would come to mind and I'd say, oh, what game was that? Or, or you know, I spent a lot of time at, at barbecues, at birthday parties, in bars, asking people, what's the greatest thing you've seen in an Indians game? What's the most memorable thing? Uh, for you in tribe history, you know, something like that would pop out and it would be on the same day as something that was just, you know, uh, unable to be given away. So, you know, game one starts out just like that. You've got Bob Feller with the only no hitter on opening day. We've got opening day 94, where Randy Johnson nearly threw the no hitter against the tribe and they came back to beat him. Um, you know, so it was there a formula? Not exactly, but it was sort of a balancing of the different eras of the different storylines. Um, you know, with game one, I ended up going with Feller, but he was involved in the story of 94. He was there pacing the halls, hoping that Randy Johnson didn't match that record. And so you can sort of mix them together sometimes like that as well. I guess this is sort of one of my biggest questions as I looked through it was, um, you know, everyone, I think, has a few in their heads. Like, you know, I'll just one of my most recent I mentioned it on here is the um, the 22nd win for the streak. Right. A couple of years ago as, yeah. as being about as, as exciting as a regular season game can be. Were there any that you had in your head and you're like, oh, this one's got to be on there. And then you like went and looked them up. and You're like, well, shit, this other one here, I also thought for sure would be on there um, that maybe like <laughs> missed out and were like really close in your opinion. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, a couple of those really great conflicts 
one that I have a, a, a real personal memory of just being a few years ago in 2016 was that 19 inning win over the uh, Jays coming into 4th of July weekend. That just like epic, like six hour long game that went 19 innings. And uh, it's game 79 of the season. But unfortunately in 1909, the very first unassisted triple play was made. And I was like, wow, you, you can't exactly overlook that. So, you know, a few things in the book have, have notes or honorable mentions, um, but for the most part, the, uh, we stick to, to one story a day. Were there any dates that you had uh, trouble coming up with a, a good candidate for? Were you kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel at all? Yeah, there were definitely a couple where, you know, wins are sparse and, and memorable wins were not really there. I would say the, the toughest one over the course of the whole project was game number 20. Um, the, the number of wins was low. And um, so that was one of those, again, where I, I had a story that I wanted to tell. And I've always been fascinated with those 1975 monochrome uniforms, you know, the, the real ugly red ones. Yeah, And um, I had actually worked with uh, Paul Lucas from UniWatch on a separate project a couple years ago. And so I wrote to, to Paul early on when I was thinking about this book and I said, hey, would you give me a couple quotes about the 75 uniforms and hopefully I can use them somewhere. And he did very generously and um, going through the box scores, just scraping around looking for wins. There was actually a walk-off win in 75 for game 20. And I said, well, here it is. Walk-off win by one of the worst teams in Indians history in maybe the worst uniforms in Major League history. That's a story to tell. The red jerseys on their own, I could live with. You could talk me into those. They got the red ones now that they wear at home sometimes. But with the red pants, that's... That's tough. I don't. I don't know. Um, I feel like the red. The red jersey is one of the very few jerseys in the history of sports that looks better on fans than it looks on the field. Yeah, I would agree with that. <laughs> Not a lot of success. You right, always right. see one. Oh, um, all the time. They're everywhere. Home or away, there'll be a game at ten o'clock at night in Seattle, and someone will be wearing that nineteen seventy-five jersey. <laughs> oh, it stands out on TV too. So. Um, so, you know, the name would imply, uh, you know, perfect season project, a lot of happy memories and, you know, for the most part it is, but I got to tell you, I was a little surprised by a few of the entries that I read in there. Um, just, I'm going through my notes here. Uh, the collision between Larry Brown and Leon Wagner in 1966, um, where, uh, one of those players nearly died. Uh, that was pretty, uh, that was bold. Um, Herb Score getting hit by a line drive, uh, Ray Caldwell being struck by lightning in 1919, and uh, Ray Chapman um, getting an honorable mention. Um, what was your thinking on, on, you know, getting those in there? Was it just trying to tell as complete a, a story as you could, the good and the bad, while focusing on wins, or, or what was the thought process there? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, so obviously those are those are traumatic events for those players, for the team, for for the city in some cases. And, um, you know, those are, are negatives. But it's interesting to note that they all turned out in wins for the team. <laughs> and so, you know, it's it's a little bit of an overcoming and, and it's also just telling the story. A perfect season is not without adversity, Tom. <laughs> There's your tagline. <laughs> the bill is in the mail. 
Um, what was the next one I was going to ask you about? Uh, did you get input from other people on this as well, or was this entirely your list? No, like I said, I, I spent a lot of time asking folks, um, you know, what's the most interesting thing you've seen? And it, it really uncovered some of those those hidden gems. One of my favorites from the, the whole project um, turned out to be something that I was tipped off to by a friend. She said, you know, I went to this game in the 90s with my dad and this guy just kept hitting foul balls and, and they made a real big production out of it. And she couldn't remember exactly the circumstances, but um, I, I did some digging and I did some research and it, it shows up as game 77 in the book. And it was when Bartolo Colon threw a 20 pitch at bat to Ricky Gutierrez of the Astros. And at the time, it was the longest at bat in MLB history. Wow. And, you know, there was there were some good write ups in the in the newspapers of the time, both in Houston and in Cleveland, um, that we were able to sort of fill me in on that. I found that at bat that someone had taped off a, a VHS on YouTube and it just brought back this like wonderful memory of 90s tribe. How many of these games were you actually at? Because there were a couple that I saw along the way in there that I can remember attending. Uh, and I know there was at least one that I can remember seeing you in there mentioned that you had you had been at. Um, was that something that, you know, kind of helped tilt things for you here and there? Yeah, there were, there were a handful where I was present and actually I'll tell you one, um, that was sort of the inspiration for the whole project. Um, and it turned out that I couldn't use it. Um, I was sitting in, in right field the night of his Drupal Cabrera's, uh, unassisted triple play with mm -hmm. a, with a buddy uh, that I grew up with and, I was like, this is this is the rarest baseball thing that I will ever see. And so when I started to make the list, I said, oh, as Drupal Cabrera, triple play, it's got to be in there. It turns out they lost that game. I have no memory of them losing that game, of course. I remember the triple play, um, but it, it couldn't use it. So, you know, there are, there are situations like that for sure. As you started, like, and I don't want you to give everything away here, obviously. We want some people to go out and get it and actually read through it because there's a lot of a lot of interesting ones in there. I, I like Tino. I don't think I, I, I skimmed over it today. I didn't have a chance to sit down and read it, but I intend to because the few that I like looked at, I found them a few that I ha don't remember at all, obviously a lot before me. But um, as you started and you sat down for this, what was the first one where you're like, all right, write this one in, uh, in marker, right? This one's absolutely whatever game it's on, whatever else there is. I know this one will be in there. Did you have one right away where you're like, it's a guarantee that that's, that's the one for that day? Um, you know, sure. I, I would say my my favorite teams um, in history, I, I love to watch the 95 guys hit. I love to watch the, the 2007 guys pitch, and I love to watch the 2016 guys run the bases. And so there are memories that stood out from each of those seasons that I knew had to make it into the book. Um, you know, Albert Bell and the 50-50. Um, is, a, is a big personal memory for me, sort of kicked off my baseball fandom. Coming in, you know, I was probably 12 years old at the time. So the, the real meat of, of young person fandom there. And um, so, yeah, there were some from the jump that needed to be in the book. 
it's fun just kind of going through and seeing how many of these that I remembered on my own, you know, like, uh, I mean, there are the obvious ones you mentioned opening day and uh, you know, the, uh, the greatest comeback in baseball history, obviously spoiler alert, everybody that one happened to make the list um, from 2001, but uh, one that I had almost kind of forgotten about already, but I can, once I read it, I could remember exactly where I was when it happened was uh, Naquin uh, with the inside the park home run uh, to walk off, you know, walk it off a couple of years ago. And a couple of things that I did not realize with that was that Jose Ramirez actually hit a home run. Like what I think the at bat right before that to tie the game. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Naquin had a, didn't he have a walk off the night before too? Yeah, he walked it off the night before, and I had completely forgotten that as well until I was writing it up. That was uh, an interesting twist to that. You know, you, you have the iconic image in your mind of him touching home plate, but uh, there's a whole story arc to that. Yeah, that was fun. I was in Denver at that point for a work conference, and I think we had like just wrapped up for the day, and I was like out to dinner and one of the TVs above the bar. All of a sudden, I just see this like mob scene, and you can recognize it was Cleveland, and you see – Naquin, you know, we put up like the guitar hand or, you know, the rock star hand or whatever. And I'm like, all right, that, that looks good. What just happened here? And then I, you know, put the pieces together. I'm like, oh my God, that's amazing. So uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's fun. Now, as, as you have this, this project completed, now that you watch this year, are you looking at that game every night to see, all right, what would it, what would it take to replace one of these games this year? Yeah, no, I, I definitely am. Yeah, I had uh, I, I had the spreadsheet completed going into the 2019 season, and so um, the the first draft of the book essentially was a blog last year that I that I started, and the challenge to myself was write an article every time there's a game and and publish it sort of in time with the season, and so it was always. Uh, the article would always be up before the game started. And then I would sit down to watch the game and be like, okay, guys beat that, you know? (laughs) So I'll definitely be watching this year to see, um, to see if there's any that, that jump and uh, require an update. How many last year did, did any last year replace the, uh, the reigning champ? There was, um, I want to say between the blog and the book, I replaced two or three games with 2019 entries. The one that stands out in my mind is um, it was a it was a straight steal of home. Leonis Martin straight stealing home um, not too long before he got released, but after he came back from the whole medical issue. So it's a good story to tell around his you know comeback and sort of struggle. It was against Detroit, you know where he came from. So a real good one. He ran home and then just kept running right out of town. Oh, pretty hey-o. much. Hey yo. Hey yo. Uh, well, hey, listen, this year, you're only going to have 60 games. Hopefully you get 60 games. We're going to keep our fingers crossed, see how this whole thing goes uh, to compare um, for, I don't know, if you're going to come out with future versions of this book updating uh, as needed. But uh, kind of as we're, as we're talking here, we got uh, preseason game number two on in the background. And uh, I don't know, uh, Alex, what, what are your feelings on this season? I'm you know, obviously, I think we're all just excited to have baseball back, period. But uh, it feels like an interesting tribe team here. It really does. I'm I'm excited to watch them pitch, especially. I think that this, um, you know, this 60-game schedule really sets up nicely for um, teams with strong starting pitching, you know, which the tribe has. 
And um, it'll be a great test of managers, which, you know, Tribe has a great manager. So I'd, I'd put them, um, you know, in good position. I think that, um, you know, talking about oddities and, and the kinds of things that um, I've identified in the book, I heard this morning that this is the first time since uh, 60s, maybe, that the Indians' entire season will be played on natural grass. So playing in the in the AL Central and the NL Central, no artificial grass this year. That's a great, great trivia there. I like yeah. that. Yeah, because um, I mean, who are the only teams left that are still playing on artificial surfaces? You got Tampa. Toronto's not playing at home this year. They're going to play where? Buffalo? Are they still? I'm not sure out? they figured it out yet. I think yeah. they're they're scrambling there. <laughs> well, it's not like the season starts in four days or anything. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like what you were saying about the, the rotation. I'd be interested to see what the Indians do with the rotation. I know there's been some talk that they're either going to go a five-man or a, a, a six-man, at least to start. Um, I guess you can make the case for both. And, I mean, it's probably a good sign for the Indians that <laughs> you've actually got six legit starters that you could feel confident in rolling out there, and, and really probably even more than that. Oh, for sure. I mean, a, a six-man rotation, the guys pitched 10 times, um, you know, throughout the course of the season, and, and you're coming in at your peak to, to potential postseason time. I, I really like it. Uh, I mean, I, I don't like that we're getting less than half of a baseball season, but as far as our chances go, it's just pretty nice. All right. So I'm going to ask you guys, just kind of philosophically, do you – you know, this is going to be a weird year. I mean, I think we all know that for, for the obvious reasons. And assuming we can get into October here, um, you know, the, the, the term asterisk, you know, gets thrown around a lot. Um, where, where do you guys each come out on that? Because I have thoughts on this, and um, I, I just kind of want to hear what you guys have to say. You know, my conception of it is that uh, I would take it. Um, does it come with an asterisk? Surely it does. Um, but then again, I, I would argue that some of our playoff losses lately have come with an asterisk, like the one to the Astros. Um, and so, you know, you, you can only play the cards that you're dealt. All the teams are dealing with the same thing. Um, and so, you know, if we end uh, the 2020 season and, and get to have a parade when uh, we have a vaccine here and everyone's allowed to get together downtown, I'll be there. <laughs> I'll be honest. I, I almost think that, I mean, it'll have an asterisk just because it's, it's noteworthy and it's different than normal than a normal season. I don't know that it, it diminishes the accomplishment in any way. And honestly, I, part of me in a way thinks that it might be harder this year. Cause if you look at like, Indians teams of years past and every team, right? You can have ups and downs throughout the season. The Indians have had a lot of like slower starts and stuff over the years where they've had to sort of bounce back and, 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 you know, slog through the dog days of summer and whatnot. There's not much room for error this year. Like if, if you have, you know, a down week or two that can pretty much cost you, you know, a, a trip to the playoffs or whatever it is. So part of me thinks that this might be like a bigger challenge. Cause you have to come out of the gate strong and you don't really have any room to like, to, uh, to like slip up or anything. So from, from that perspective, it's almost like, 
it's almost like it'll be a more impressive accomplishment in a way. Um, obviously, going 162 games versus only going 60 games, it's not quite the marathon, but um, I don't know. I think there's something to be said for it. I don't, I don't know that it, it necessarily diminishes winning it in any way. And then, like Alex said, I'll, I'll take it. I'll be buying I'll be buying T-shirts and shit afterwards if they win it. I don't care. Let's be collecting yeah, items. May well elevate the uh, the accomplishment in some ways. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I, I feel like when you hear the term asterisk on a season, it, uh, there's a connotation that it means less than. Yeah, a like you didn't year. earn it or something, right? And I, you know, I I don't think that would be the case this year. I think it would just kind of denote that it was different, but for a lot of reasons, it is every bit as hard, if not harder than winning a normal year. I mean, I think, you know, the example that a lot of people have thrown around is we've kind of waited for the season to get started. Weren't the nationals last year? I mean, they ended up winning the world series and they started, I think 19 and 31, you know, they do that this year, man. See you later. (laughs) Your season's over. Um, So yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens here, but uh, I don't know. I'm looking forward to it. Friday night, we get started. Uh, Open up with who? Kansas City, is that right? Mm-hmm. Believe so, yeah. Yep. All right. Well, good deal. Trav, do you have any more questions, or should we close up shop? No, it's cool. I could probably ask him a bunch more, but I don't want to give away the whole damn thing. So, <laughs> um, no, I appreciate it. it's a really interesting read. Thanks for joining us, Alex. Yeah, I appreciate it. So, just for the benefit of your listeners, um, books available, of course, on Amazon. It's also available directly from me at PerfectSeasonProject.com. And I just wanted to thank you guys for your time and your interest and uh, looking forward to a great season here. Thank you, Alex. Good times. And you mentioned, you mentioned a blog, Alex, you still have anything online where people can go read new stuff. Uh, It's still up there. Um, As you mentioned, if there, if there are games to be updated, if, if, you know, we get some, some incredible happenings here in the next couple of weeks and something needs to, uh, to take the place of a current entry, I'll probably do an update there. For the most part, the blog exists as um, sort of an, an archive of the first draft. It's it's pretty rough, written day to day. The book, edited, fact checked, all that kind of good stuff expanded upon. Um, so it is the it is the definitive version, if you will. Nice. The, the book is Perfect Season Project: An Uncommon Arrangement of Cleveland Indians History. We will have a link on where you can buy that in the show notes uh, for this episode. Alex Hardotes, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks, guys. Have a great night. All right, there you go. Alex Harnotes, author of Perfect Season Project, An Uncommon Arrangement of Cleveland Indians History. Definitely recommend giving that a look. As for us, you can subscribe to The Nail in the Coffin on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. And of course, you can stream us on waitingfornextyear.com. That's going to do it for us. For Travis Uli, I'm Tom Valentino. This has been The Nail in the Coffin. Let's go enjoy some baseball this week. Ready to up your game and learn more about the thrilling world of sports betting? Introducing Double Down with Breslow, the ultimate podcast about the business of sports gambling. Join me, James Breslow, and a long list of expert guests as we dive into the art and science of the sports betting industry. Evolving regulations, technology enhancements, and the meteoric rise in the number of players makes this sector the fastest growing and most intriguing in the world. Unlock the business secrets from many of the industry's most recognizable C-suite executives, including famous 
famous odds makers and influencers. Every episode of Double Down with Breslow is packed with insider tips, deeply skilled analysis, and in-depth discussions. Don't miss out on the ultimate resource for mastering the business of sports betting. Listen to Double Down with Breslow on the Evergreen Podcast Network or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Double Down with Breslow, the business of sports betting podcast.